0: On movies with Rebecca and Jason Are you gonna love them or hate them?
1: Here, Here comes the binge. binge Hey everybody, welcome to the binge In which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases I am Jason Leroy
0: And I'm Rebecca Olarte Okay, it's gonna be like that today uh, Just a heads up um, But I am Rebecca Olarte And today we're gonna take a look at three new movies Spider-Man Homecoming A Ghost Story And The Little Hours as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with binge it being our highest rating. Consuming moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means
1: life is too short for that mess. Life is also too short for uh, for colds, and yet Rebecca mm. has one. I found one. She found it. She found it. Um, searched high and low tirelessly. Yeah, it's like
0: a, what was that Pokemon?
1: Found it. Right. It's it's some sort of like lose your voice go, and <laughs> and that's and that's what has happened. So you guys are going to get a much Uh, Husky or Olarte vocal Mm,
0: And maybe uh, maybe a more Jason heavy episode Which uh, everyone is always asking for
1: Absolutely Uh, So this is really just a power play on my behalf Um, (laughs) Drink this Just bring the news to Rebecca now That this is actually my work Uh, (laughs) So yeah, so you're going to get uh, So Rebecca's sort of deeper balancing Out of my girlish voice Is going to be a lot more (laughs) pronounced this week (laughs) than usual um, so you're all welcome. I know that you all are big fans of Rebecca's voice, and apologies—it's <laughs> a bit more a bit more ravaged this week, but I think it's going to be even you know a sexier. You
0: give me my best and my worst.
1: <laughs> that is true, and I have already asked her. Uh, to please, put a little New York on it to make it just a complete Natasha Leone transformation. <laughs> I wish I could. I think she's just not confident in her accent work.
0: I can't do any accents. No, no,
1: no, I know, and I and I know that you know, and I think normally you would blame that on. Well, I just don't want to appropriate, but really,
0: no, I just I'm not good at it. Yeah,
1: exactly. It's very awkward. Um, so there's that uh guys here we are at the mid-year point of 2017 we've made it all the way through june as, wow, that's
0: actually surprising i didn't think we were going to make it at all
1: yeah uh it's 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 striking um and it's it's somehow july uh mm. so you know i think every day is a is a day that we didn't we do not take for granted Mm-mm. um and uh but with that said it's still time to look back on the year in film thus far and pick some, some well, some tops and bottoms, really.
0: Oh, wait. Does one have a good connotation?
1: Well, you know, the bottoms, um, if they are power bottoms, which some of these are, do a lot of the providing of the energy.
0: Mm. And uh, and they
1: give <laughs> us the energy to, to rip them to shreds. This, um, this has they, never been about movies. This is never, it's finally the mask is falling off <laughs> with a thud um and uh just <laughs> your 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 raspy chuckles are really <laughs> it's really it's really upsetting <laughs> really coming through for me you're this week you're making
0: really great jokes right there and i just kind of just yeah. ruined the whole thing <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: this is going to be a lot of fun to listen to uh so uh so rebecca and i compared notes and uh picked some films that we uh that we especially enjoyed this year think of the the best thus far and also some that were especially painful to sit through and, uh, and, you know, I think there's a couple in each list that you haven't seen, but the most I think you have. Mm-hmm. Um, so for best, and this is in no particular order... Did you ever get around to watching the Lego Batman movie? I did not. So that's the one that but I, st- I am
0: about to go on a flight and I feel Ooh, like
1: that'd be a great flight movie.
0: Um, why should collect all of our flight movie oh, recommendations yeah. that we had
1: and go back through. Mm-hmm. Um, so Lego Batman movie, I still look back on with great fondness. I did see it a second time. I thought it was just as funny. Just a really delightful animated action comedy. Super referential, super witty. Love that. And then, of course, there is Get Out. Oh, yeah. Which I feel like is probably the most universal pick for the most notable film of the first half of 2017.
0: Absolutely. It's, in, it's original, it's important, um, well-executed, mm-hmm. uh, great movie.
1: And, you know, and, and I, I do wonder with Get Out, if, if the timing had been different, mm. um, you know, mm. if it would have had the zeitgeist sort of tapping moment that it had mm-hmm. with being so huge and being so endlessly discussed and debated and, and, and celebrated.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess it's like sort of what is, what is the moment? Like the moment is, um, you know, I think this was turned around relatively quickly, um, but it's not a new topic. Mm-mm, um, no. but yeah, I guess it was just, um, an interesting, we were at a particular low when mm. this came out and it yes. seemed, uh, so and much more.
1: It gave us, it gave us, uh, it gave us something to, uh, I don't know, it just gave us a a new thing to experience together um, Mm -hmm. and and to point to that and be like, yes, this is another thing that helps make some points that we're all trying to make and Mm -hmm. that are being sort of invalidated from the uppermost level now. Right. Uh, So that was great work on behalf of Get Out. I also I'm still just just hearing your voice in my headphones. It's just the vulnerability. It's just I feel like everyone try not to fall in love with Rebecca this week. I know <laughs> I know many of you already are, but I'm
0: putting it all out there for you guys. <laughs> oh, it's so Doing the best thing. <laughs>
1: oh my god, don't do it. It's like if if your like your voice is like Jacob Tremblay as a podcasting voice right now. <laughs> wow. Your voice is wearing those little glasses.
0: That is the sweetest thing anyone's ever said to me <laughs> about being sick.
1: <laughs> uh, speaking of being sick, the big sick. Mm. Uh, which we just reviewed mm-hmm. last, last week, week. Uh, I think uh, merits a mention.
0: Absolutely, in
1: the most notable films of the first half of the year, uh, as we discussed just last week, uh, just a really terrific, uh, thoughtful uh, romantic comedy, relatable, uh, relatable, beautifully acted. Holly Hunter. Holly Hunter. Holly Hunter. Although I guess um, I just saw today that I guess she did an interview with the New Yorker. And she talked about the, the sexism of just being called upon to play moms. Mm. Um, Wait, wasn't she
0: just in that Quentin Tarantino movie?
1: Which which one?
0: The last one he made. She was a...
1: No, The Hateful Eight? Yeah. It's Jennifer Jason Leigh. Oh, fuck. <laughs> you know, your foibles are just all the more adorable when you're, <laughs> when you're sick. So we all collectively, on behalf of all the listeners, uh. I say it's okay. <gasps> Which reminds me of what we should have said at the very beginning of this episode. Happy Fourth
0: of July, <laughs>
1: guys! It is the Fourth of July while we were recording this, um, but no, guys, and sorry to go off topic. We have a correction to make.
0: Oh, we do from
1: last week's episode.
0: Oh boy, I- I'm gonna sit down.
1: Whoopsie daisies. That's all I can say. So last week, wow. In um in my review of Baby Driver. Uh, I was discussing Ansel Elgort, the leading man of that film, and I was trying to explain how what he looks like, mm-hmm. um, just 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 for those of you without eyes. Um, I was trying. <laughs> You've to never explain. seen a
0: movie, but yes. you love movie podcasts. If you
1: have no, if you couldn't conceivably think of a way to see what Ansel Elgort looks like, I was trying to just display <laughs> his his looks to you. And um, and I said, uh, and I started to say, oh, he's like a baby-faced Ashton Kutcher. And Rebecca was like, Oh, I thought Ashton Kutcher was the babyface Ashton Kutcher. And I was Mm -hmm. like, Well, you think so until you see Ansel Elgort. And then I said something along the lines of, He looks sort of like if Ashton Kutcher had a twin brother who didn't bake long enough in the oven. Oh, God. And wasn't (sighs) quite fully formed. So said that, thought nothing of it. I blame Rebecca because she laughed and I went in deeper on the joke. (laughs) Um, In case anyone's wondering who formally you can send your letters to. Uh, It's Rebecca. And uh, so said that, thought nothing of it. We taped the show earlier in the week. Um, It it sat there being listened to for several days. Mm -hmm. And then on Friday, uh, I get a text from Scott. Uh, and he very rarely engages with the podcast. <laughs> with like, <laughs> and, uh, and and yet he texts me and he started to say, like, oh, your baby driver review. And I'm like, oh, you, you were listening. You're listening to what I do. And he's like, um, Ashton Kutcher does have a disabled brother. And I'm like, what? Huh? And I immediately start to look it up.
0: No. Guys. Yeah.
1: Guys. Guys. Ashton Kutcher has a twin brother who has cerebral palsy. So that was tough uh, to learn um, after our podcast had already been out there in the world for a few days, in which I made this joke, the, a joke that was at the expense of a perfectly well-abled Ansel Elgort. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I did not know, had no way of knowing. I don't even know how Scott knew. He's just, his mind, he just He just retains things he hears.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and, uh, and I felt horribly.
0: And you are?
1: Uh, very sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, my apologies to the Kutcher family um, if they, for whatever reason, have heard about this. And regardless, even if they haven't, um, my intention, of course, was never to make any joke at the actual expense of a person who I did not realize existed. Um, <laughs> so, yes, that's 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 a really firm apology. Um, I yeah, way really, to like really, really double down on it. Really, it's a it's a, my my housewives level apology um but uh but yeah no so that was i was very embarrassed um by that and rebecca and i were texting that we are definitely living in an episode of (laughs) difficult people Mm -hmm. uh right now um but uh but yeah so that was a thing that i said that i did not realize was gravely offensive uh so again uh my apologies did not realize what i was saying uh, so
0: getting back on track. I can only assume is going to be first of many binge apologies.
1: And we really thought that our first one would have been when Rebecca falsely identified Hugh Carrere as the uh, East Asian actress who was murdered, uh, playing a stripper in very bad things. But alas, no. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I feel like if I just inconsistently uh, mistake people, regardless of race, ethnicity, gender, then we'll just all understand it's my fault. I mean, it always is anyway, but... <laughs> There was no intention. Uh,
1: Yes. Uh, So that being said, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, love the big sick. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Uh, Next. uh, And I might also add that no one else, Scott's the only person who mentioned that to me. Uh, Oh, yeah.
0: Nobody listens to the podcast. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I forget the the analytics person came back to us. Yeah, it's like, oh, there's just this one one listen. It
1: actually came from the same place you guys tape it in. I'm like, oh, (laughs) it's nice of him to listen. (laughs) Um, So moving on, I also love, so there's a trio of uh, wonderful uh, kind of horror slash supernatural Mm. uh, female uh, driven films that all came out the first half of this year. And I loved all three of them. They are Prevenge. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, about a uh, pregnant woman who goes on a murdering spree at the behest of her uh, the voice of her unborn child. There was Raw,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, the French allegory about a, a veterinary college student who, um, who becomes a cannibal. <laughs> and there was Personal Shopper.
0: Personal Shopper.
1: <laughs> I'm a personal shopper. I'm
0: a personal shopper.
1: <laughs> uh, starring Kristen Stewart as a twin. Oh, here we are again. As a twin uh, mm-hmm. who is uh, who is attempting to commune with the uh, the ghost of her recently deceased twin brother.
0: Which also I feel like we'll bring up later as it has kind of related to one of the movies that it we're does. reviewing today.
1: It does. Uh, all three of these films uh, were super standout to me. I remember all of them fondly. I've watched su- two of them several times. Two of them are female directed. Uh, I just think all three are just great fresh visions of like supernatural and, and, and horror related stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and you saw of those you saw Raw and Personal Shopper, mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, and you, uh, I they think you, I think f- you like Personal Shopper more. I
0: did. Yeah, Raw Raw was a little bit harder for me um, because I'm less of a maybe like a traditional horror movie fan. Mm-hmm. Um, but Personal Shopper was really very interesting, um, coming off the same collaboration between Kristen Stewart and um, Olivia. As mm-hmm. um, and they, they have another one coming out, uh, I believe, in 2018. Oh yeah, um, probably. On, on deck, so I'm very excited for that one as well.
1: Yeah. And then, uh, and then also, uh, last best of 2017 so far mention I'm going to make is their finest.
0: Mm, yeah, uh, you love that one. Uh.
1: Really love that one, and I've been I've been gratified to see it showing up on a lot of other mid year lists too. Okay. So I really hope that it gets some sort of you know momentum going into the second half of the year, coming off of these mid year lists, mm-hmm. which is another reason why I'm putting it on this one. That again was a story about uh, about the uh, British film industry during World War II. Uh, trying to make, uh, you know, uplifting propaganda films, um, uh, despite all the the constant terror and agony uh, mm-hmm. of the uh, experience of living through that. With that, speaking of terror and agony. ooh, is it time for the bottoms? Some of the bottoms. Some of the bottoms for this. Um, starting with uh, when we talked about, very recently, The Bad Batch. Mm-hmm which was just a lot of ugliness and uh and misery and, and and sadism just for the sake of it
0: it really was and i think that like that's a really we we're not saying that like you can't make movies that are grotesque and ugly and show the the terrible things that could happen and you know when people are pushed to their limits. And those stories are some of the best stories that exist. But when you do it without like a sense of heart or originality or um, I don't there's, there was no meaning. It was just so raw mm. and it, it just felt exploitative of, mm-hmm. of your reactions. Yeah, it was crass. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say yeah, it was crap. <laughs> Like, oh, okay yes. it was just kind of like Jason, shut Rebecca
1: it was just crap
0: <laughs> really your vocabulary no,
1: no need to add any thought all to over this. the place you know the movie didn't give any thought to it so why should we yeah um, moving on from there uh, there was the book of Henry
0: oh fuck <laughs> that what? says it what a mess!
1: Just uh, just a mere mention of it.
0: What a weird mess that was. Certainly
1: the most uniquely bad movie I would say that has it's come like, out so far this year. Did you ever
0: play that game where you like write a sentence and you fold the paper over and you hand it to someone else and they write a sentence and mm-hmm. you fold it over and then at the end of it you have this like hot yeah. mess? It's hilarious. It's yeah. kind of like that, but like if you put Naomi Watts and like Jacob Tremblay and all these like money and, and talent behind it. Mm-hmm. Weird. Yes.
1: Yes, and uh, yeah, and also you know in the same way where you sit back after you play that game. And you're like, this is only funny to us. <laughs> yeah. uh, yes. I would never show this to someone else. Yes. I would never make, mm-hmm. yeah, to your point, uh, a star-studded, big-budget movie out of this ridiculous paper game we've just played. Right, exactly. And yet The Book of Henry is a movie that exists in this world. I
0: can go see it. It probably uh, has merch.
1: know, <laughs> Merch?
0: I don't know. It's probably like merch you could buy. A Book of Henry t-shirt.
1: <laughs> An actual Bo- Book of Henry uh, novelization. Mm-hmm. Tie-in. Mm-hmm. I would love that. Um, so Baywatch. Mm. Oof. Um, And also, a special added fuck you um, to Baywatch because it blamed its failure on critics. Really? Yes. As did the other movie that came out that same weekend that was also terrible and also made my worst of list, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: which you had to suffer through. I
0: did. Yeah, it wasn't cute.
1: Both of these movies did less than expected um, in their box office, and both of them had the nerve... To suggest that it is because of critics.
0: There's no way. There's no way that... I As mean, if
1: movies that... You know, like these are these are supposed to be critic-proof movies, first of all. Right. You know, like these giant summer blockbusters very rarely, if ever, get good critic reviews. And yet still open to enormous numbers.
0: And I didn't feel like the critic reviews for these were so particularly bad that it was like... Um, it was going to tank something that was going to succeed yeah. anyway.
1: They're scapegoating critics. They're just mm-hmm. scapegoating critics. I think the idea that people... You know these movies. I think people look to critics for their reviews about like prestigy movies sure. to see like it will it be worth my time to sit through this prestigy movie
0: like Pirates of the Caribbean. It's like a maybe like a family night or something like like an audience that isn't yeah. necessarily like
1: it's not like they're if reading A.O. Scott. If you're trying to take your kids out to a movie, you're not going to be like, oh well, let me check the tomato meter real quick. <laughs> um no. you know, it's so, like, dear <laughs> God,
0: I hope they shut up for two hours. What and I'm get saying, rest from my terrible life.
1: What I'm saying is that what we do doesn't matter. Uh, Oh, yeah, no. (laughs) So except for when it does. Um, But so both of these movies were like, and and, in particular, The Rock Mm. really was like, oh, yeah, critics were venomous snakes about this movie. And he was like, this movie tested so well. And it would have done so well, except for critics just destroyed it. And it's like, fuck Mm. you, The Rock. (laughs) <laughs> like, you know, like, this is, this isn't like, y- y- no one was blaming you for this. Like, right. you know, critics like still, you know, they were like, yeah, even your great charm and, you know, Verve as a comedic actor can't save this movie it's just unfunny. Mm-hmm. It was just unfunny. Uh, and that was the problem with Baywatch. It just wasn't fucking funny. And like we always say in the show, that's the test of a comedy. Whether it's worth watching or not, <laughs> doesn't make you laugh. And maybe Watch* things. did not make me laugh at all. And Pirates of the Caribbean is just kind of like, why is this? We don't need this to keep going as a film right. series. There's nothing, there's been nothing new or fresh or fun added to it in years. Mm-hmm. Like there's just, just stop. Just stop with a series. It's just beating a dead like horse. Like we talked
0: about before, compared to something like um, Fast and the Furious, where they are continuing to recommit to each movie. Yeah. Um, this is, they're definitely, it shows that they're resting on on their laurels.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just a bloated wreck. Um, and, not, and so is Johnny Depp. And so is Johnny Hey-o. Depp. that was cheap. I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean it, the joke was in there somewhere, and I'm glad you found it. No. I was trying no. to find it. You got to it first. <laughs> See, your sickness isn't holding you down. <laughs> um, but yeah, Pirates of the Caribbean, terrible. No more of those, please. Uh, and then a film that earned just a special character hatred from both of us, which was Wilson.
0: Oh, my God.
1: Oof. Sorry.
0: Um, visceral, yeah, that was really hard uh, to watch. Uh, would, would have, I, was, I wasn't prepared for the list. I'm like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I feel that was also like a very, um, it was a shame, again, you know, a Daniel Clowes story that could have been adapted really well, and they just totally missed the point. They missed the point in their in the way they portrayed him. Where you're supposed to find him affable, and even though he's the most insufferable. And I know a thing or two about the most insufferable. Um, She's looking at me. (laughs) It was just a misfire. Huge misfire.
1: It was a huge misfire. And just so, yeah, just to take this intensely unlikable character and to present them as if they are meant to be flinty and charming. Mm. um, That's everything
0: that's wrong with it. It, That's why terrible people think they can be terrible.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Watch a movie like Wilson and me just like, yeah, I see, like. It's cute that I'm, like, so aggressively misanthropic. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. that's literally never cute. No. <laughs> um, so we're laying rolling down now. Um, and then uh, last movie on the... St- oh, what
0: could it possibly be? On the is power this, bottoms list. Is this the power bottom one that you want to tear to shreds?
1: No, this is, um, this is just one that honestly was just disappointing because of all the different talent involved and the great premise just all shot to shit, and that is Table 19.
0: Oh, wait a minute. I thought you were going to say The Assignment.
1: No, um actually I didn't put the assignment on there. I will say, so just quickly about table nineteen. Um this was the one with anna Kendrick and Lisa kudrow and Stephen Merchant and Craig Robinson and, and the the years most the most uh really just tough, awkward uh shower love scene, um maybe of, of all time between Lisa kudrow and um Craig Robinson. Uh great premise of, you know, a table full of outcasts at a wedding banding together. Just squandered, uh, mm. just a real, a real letdown. So Rebecca brings up, which is a movie that is probably both our favorite movie of the year so far, mm-hmm. and also one of the worst movies ever made.
0: Yeah, it's that's a very small circle.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, not a lot of overlap there, mm-hmm. and that is the assignment.
0: What a, what a, what a wild ride! <laughs> what um, it both lived up to uh, our expectations and exceeded them um, in ways that we couldn't even predict. Mm-hmm. I did watch it again. It holds up You just gotta watch it With people who don't know And when, um, when
1: you watch it again Do you have any new people with you?
0: I did I had all new people And then I, I found a new mistake That we missed In the oh, movie the first time what? So the movie's supposed to take place In San Francisco As I tell you Time and time and time again uh-huh. And there's one point When um, uh, Michelle Rodriguez's character Is writing down His phone number mm-hmm. And uh, Instead of writing 415 Which is the area code here In San Francisco He writes 451 <laughs> This is like a small detail, oh, Michi. but it sets so Michi. I mean, this movie has like <laughs> so has really yeah. given birth to this obsession we have now. We're thinking about mm-hmm. an offshoot podcast where it's just all about Michelle Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. Um, you know,
1: Michi loves dyslexia. Is uh, <laughs> is what we can take away from that? Don't start. That's from that area yeah,
0: You're going to find a new news story that like, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess is dyslexic. Like. She's
1: like, you motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: um. <laughs> 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 yeah, you're like, you're like Jason. Take a B.
1: Yeah, just no more jokes, please.
0: If <laughs> you <laughs> could do this with less of the <laughs> <laughs> jokes, it'd be great. Um, yeah, the assignment. See it. Don't see it. See it for free. Pirate this movie. (laughs) Don't give it any money, but you have to see it. It's the worst.
1: And by all means, if you missed it, go back and listen to our initial review of it, in which we gave it a full episode with our special guest, Joshua Grinnell, Mm -hmm. a.k.a. Peaches Christ, um, which we taped after just watching it. What a day. off of it. What a a chuckle fest that was. (laughs) Quite a day. And guys, that's it. Those are our tops and bottoms of 2017's year in film so far. Um, If there's anything that you think we missed, or anything you disagree with, um, or if I made any more uh, horrible jokes about people who actually exist and I didn't know, then by all means, uh, let us know. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, And if not, I guess we'll get moving on to the movies for this week. Uh, We're going to start off with Spider-Man Homecoming, which is our Pick of the Week.
1: Pick of the Week!
0: Pick of the Week! Pick, pick, pick is the Pick Pick of the Week! Thrilled by his experience with the Avengers... Young Peter Parker returns home to live with his Aunt May. Under the watchful eye of mentor Tony Stark, Parker starts to embrace his newfound identity as Spider-Man. He also tries to return to his normal daily routine, but is distracted by thoughts of proving himself to be more than just a friendly neighborhood superhero. Peter must soon put his powers to the test when the evil Vulture emerges to threaten everything that he holds to. Listen, I know school sucks. Peter! You still with us? Uh, yeah, yeah. I know you want to save the world. But You're not ready
1: yet You're the Spider-Man No I'm not I'm not This is just a costume You're on the ceiling Stay close to the ground And stay out of trouble
0: So I wasn't able to see this one Um, This is probably maybe the second superhero movie That has gotten a pick of the week from our show Mm -hmm. Um, Jason Mm Mm-hmm is this movie similar to Deadpool?
1: Uh, it's similar to Deadpool in the sense that it is extremely, extremely funny. Mm. Um, that it functions very, very well as a comedy. It's similar to Deadpool in the sense that it feels fresh. Mm. It just feels fresh. It feels energetic. Uh, and uh, and it doesn't get bogged down in any kind of uh, world building. Uh, So it's, it's just, it just feels like this, this like sort of just live wire riff um, that just exists within the Marvel universe. It doesn't become about this giant intergalactic battle and, you know, forces from different galaxies Mm -hmm. all converging to destroy all of earth Mm -hmm. uh, because that's just, that's just exhausting. And when you use it time and time and time and time again, it's like, you just don't care. Right. So this finds a much more sort of interesting angle um, for the story of its, of its villain. And um, and it's actually an angle that has uh, sort of uh, an interesting economic uh, uh, point to it as well. So the villain in this movie is played by Michael Keaton. Mm. And as the story begins, um, there's a prologue that happens in the aftermath of the big battle at the end of the Avengers. And Michael Keaton plays a guy who is heading up a contracting crew um, to go in and sort of clean up the mess. Mm. Um, and just all these just working class construction guys. Um, But then these uh, sort of like a a more uh, professional, official, like Iron Man sanctioned crew shows up and basically fires all these working class guys. And, um, you know, and they're very and they're like, this is our livelihood. We need this to live. And they're just like, get out of here. You know, this stuff is really sensitive. There's like. You Know there's alien uh, uh paraphernalia everywhere and superpower <laughs> alien paraphernalia, A- yes, alien alien flyers, um, alien t shirts, <laughs> um, merch, yes, and lots of back to the merch. Um, but you know, there's like supercharged, crazy powerful rocks and other substances just mm-hmm. come from you know, from alien weapons, and and they're like, yeah, this is not for like laymen to take care of, we need to like have our special like black ops crew come in and do this, um, so. But Michael Keaton and his crew end up accidentally holding on to um, a chunk of this like alien rock or whatever, and with that they're able to start building these these weapons that use alien technology, and then they start uh-huh. selling them on the black market, uh, and that is uh, sort of what starts to set them up as these as the supervillain. Okay. So uh, so you know so we have here it feels very. Um, it feels very relatable just in the mm-hmm. sense that, you know, it's about this kind of like working class blue collar guy who's very resentful against like the elites, uh, you know, who who is trading in 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 guns uh, and who feels entitled to this. He feels entitled to, you know, to go rogue and to do this very irresponsible thing just because he's like, well, I need to support my family
0: mm-hmm. and
1: my crew needs to, you know, support their families. But, you know, but it's all kind of gone to his head. Um, so. You know, in this idea of it's sort of like a what not to do for desperate working class folks, um, and uh, it sort of shows the value of of choosing compassion mm-hmm. over over resentment. So, in a bit, in the same time, it's not in like a lecture-y way. I don't think that you know people necessarily would watch this and be like, "Oh, this is like a fucking Hollywood," you know, telling me that you know being out of cl- out of touch with the working class. Uh, although there there there's also the speaking of things that might alienate um, a Trump base watching this movie. It is the most spectacularly diverse young cast. Oh. Uh and have you have you heard about that at all? No, not at all. So uh you know so in this, this movie, Peter Parker is fifteen in this story. Oh right. And uh and and this is the third you know, this is the third Spider Man we've had in like fifteen years because mm-hmm. we had Tobey Maguire, and then mm-hmm. we had Andrew Garfield, young, and now we have young Tom Holland, mm-hmm. who is English, um, but does a terrific Queen's accent. Right,
0: I keep wanting to call him Tom of Finland. <laughs> I love that so much,
1: but... Tom of Holland.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, and uh, so we have him here, and uh, and he he surrounded all the other characters um, that he is in high school with are played by like young actors of color. Mm and uh so which is just i mean it's not only is it and it feels good and organic mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like strange just because like it takes place in queens mm-hmm. you know so it makes sense that like all these characters would be non-white um and so even though we still have our white hero uh just that sense of like looking at like these like cool uh well-shaded uh, you know energetic fun characters uh it's 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 pretty great uh awesome. and including uh Zendaya mm. uh who <laughs> who I'm, I'm glad to see actually doing something, um, you know, doing like a role because I feel like for a while uh, I only would hear about Zendaya when she was like responding when she was sort mm. of like responding to a joke we made at her expense. Mm-hmm. Um, so now she's actually playing this character and she plays sort of like a Daria type figure, which oh, is nice. which is fun to see. And there's even a bit, there's even a line where so there's like a field trip that's uh, taken to Washington D.C. and they go to the Washington Monument. And um, and they are all in like academic decathlon together, mm-hmm. and um, and they go to the Washington Monument. And Martin Starr from Silicon Valley and Party Down plays their teacher, and uh, and so he's sitting there as the kids are all going up in the monument. He turns to Zendaya and he's like, "Oh, don't you want to go up there and see the Washington Monument?" And she's like, "Oh, I actually prefer not to, you know, celebrate things that were built by slaves." Nice. Um, and he's like, "I don't think that the Washington Monument was." built by any turns and this like security guard kind of goes like yeah kind of yeah uh-huh. uh he's like oh and i'm like oh my god like that's a line that's in a it's spider-man, Spider-Man movie. movie yeah you know it's like one yeah. of the biggest movies of the summer and it's like doing education mm-hmm. about like these like ugly you know things swept under the rock of american history
0: right you're not gonna get it in school you might not yeah. get it in Super- spider-man yeah
1: who knew who fucking knew uh you know so so it definitely has so i think you know that would certainly set off and i'm sure once fox news finds out about that line mm-hmm. um that it will go after spider-man as like you know this is a liberal hollywood trying to you know turn young audiences against their country or whatever right um but you know the truth hurts guys that's <laughs> all i can say about that so tom holland is 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 so fantastic and this is i think this is this might be so we all know the Toby, the Maguire Spider-Man, at least the first two, were very good. Mm-hmm. At least at the time, they seemed very good. I wonder how they would hold Ooh, up. Yeah, I don't know. The third one we all know was a disaster because there was like the dance sequence that kind of like,
0: <laughs> that, that
1: sort of like merged with like a particular turn in the internet's life cycle
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and just became one of the first things that the internet piled on. Uh, and then the Andrew Garfield ones are best, I think, forgotten entirely. Yeah, they were very memorable. Yeah, those were completely forgettable. Um, and is best sort of just scrubbed from history. And, uh, but now we have this and this is just Marvel just still just killing it. Like they are doing so well. And Spider-Man Homecoming is so fun. It's just so That's fun. That's amazing. Oh my God. And it's, so it's directed by John Watts and it is another of these cases of like, unfortunately of sort of just like a white Sundance dude mm-hmm. give, give, being given the keys to the kingdom. Um, so before this he had a standout um Sundance movie called Cop Car, um that starred Kevin Bacon. And then from that he made this.
0: Oh wow. Wow. You
1: know, but you know what? He 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 crushed it. He did a really good job. Uh and there are six credit screenwriters on this. Oh, wow. Six. But with, even with six credit screenwriters, it feels so uniform. It mm-hmm. feels so consistent. It feels like Um, you know, you don't feel that kind of that disembodied, you know, discombobulated tugging of different screenwriters, right, of Suicide Squad. Like it feels very, like a very cohesive vision. Is
0: Suicide Squad Marvel?
1: No it's DC
0: Oh is that how the things go in this world?
1: Uh, yeah I mean well that's so yeah DC has kind of that's why Wonder Woman another reason why Wonder Woman has been celebrated as such a success is because they're like oh DC finally didn't like completely fucking shit the bed um, <laughs> on one of their movies <laughs> okay um, and um, you know not only did they not shit the bed but they made a genuinely great film
0: mm-hmm.
1: Wonder Woman I don't know why yeah I guess that would have been on my list too I well we didn't review it so no, I think I it, only yeah. I only included movies that we actually review in the show we did not review Wonder Woman um, but it's sure might as well throw that on there too uh but no marvel just keeps the 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 consistent level of quality that marvel has been able to to adhere to is is stunning i feel like it's unprecedented in these kinds of franchise universes um to have so many different pieces of the puzzle so many different moving parts so many different actors filmmakers writers Mm -hmm. producers and yet still to just have like film after film with this high level of quality it's nuts Uh, and so, and I, I, just, I smiled through this entire movie nonstop beginning to end. Uh, and it, you know, it's, it has just, it's clever and it's delightful and, uh, and I just really couldn't recommend it, uh, highly enough as a feel good, uh, sort of just summer blockbuster
0: you're giving it uh, it's pick of the week so I assume you're giving it a binge it
1: binge it binge Spider-Man Homecoming and it's
0: rated PG-13 for sci-fi action violence some language and brief suggestive comments and that brings us to our second movie of the week which is a ghost story recently deceased a white sheeted ghost returns to a suburban home to console his bereft wife only to find that in his spectral state he has become unstuck in time forced to watch passively as the life he knew and the woman he loves slowly slip away Increasingly unborn, the ghost embarks on a cosmic journey through memory and history, confronting life's ineffable questions and the enormity of existence.
1: We build our legacy piece by piece, and maybe the whole world will remember you, or maybe just a couple of people, but you do what you can to make sure you're still around after you're gone.
0: We have Casey Affleck once again, um... Being the face of uh, total despair and sadness. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. Coming off of uh, Manchester, Manny by the sea Manchester by the Sea. Um, Good callback. Now now with a ghost story. Yeah. Is this his thing?
1: Well, you know, the good thing about Casey Affleck in this movie is that if you hate him, and there's a good chance that you do, Mm -hmm.
0: uh,
1: you actually don't have to see him um, for most of the movie because he is under a sheet. And no, not as a Klansman, um, mm-hmm. as some might uh, jump to from the the Oscar season demonization. Uh, but no, he is wearing uh, this movie kind of boldly um, and straight facedly uses that hilariously archaic Halloween look mm-hmm. of just a white sheet with black eye holes to to, you know, to create this ghost look. Uh, so this he, ghost,
0: look. this ghost, <laughs>
1: this ghost, Luke. Because um, so Casey Affleck, uh, he is in the film. He's, he lives with Rooney Mara in uh, in like a little kind of shitty house in Texas, and <laughs> uh, and he dies in a car accident, and uh, and then we go with her to the hospital, and uh, and we're watching um, from this sort of st- static shot of her, um, you know, seeing the body. And then she walks away and the body's there under a sheet and we watch it for a very long time. This is a movie that makes like immense ongoing use of extended stationary camera static shots. Mm -hmm. So be patient. Mm -hmm, It's mm -hmm. very, it's very (laughs) Malachy. And uh, so like, like, you know, but it's like a good Mm Malach. So it's more, you know, sort of like tree of life ish. Uh, so you just gotta, just gotta stick with it. So we're just watching and watching and watching. We're like, why are we still watching this? And then he sits up, uh, from the table and then he steps off the table and he has a sheet over him and he's just walking down this hallway. And, um, and this all happens at the beginning of the film. And as he's walking down this hallway in the hospital, this portal of light opens up on a wall and he looks at it and it waits and then it closes up again. And then he turns and he just walks back to his house, to and then he just stands there around the house watching Rooney Mara grieving. And you know, if I haven't already uh, stressed this with the Mal comparisons, this is a super super artsy movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's incredibly poetic. It's very lyrical, and you know, it's hard to really describe what happens in it. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, but essentially it seems like by choosing to go to back to his house and to not like pass through to the other side, um, he has sort of, um, been not condemned, but he now has to sort of live out, um, an eternity of time on that spot, on that spot where the house is, but things keep changing. And so Rumi Mara eventually moves out of the house. And then he's still there in the house as other families, other occupants come and go, and so which is kind of why it's called a ghost story. It's sort of like mm-hmm. the story of a ghost. We watch this person die, so we kind of see what what ghost life is like. And uh, and with uh, the the first family to move in after Rooney Mara moves out is a Mexican family, and uh, and the scenes are all done in Spanish with no subtitles, which is always a bold choice. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a scene where. Uh, he terrorizes them during one of their meals.
0: Oh, so they can the mm. the people in the house know that he's there.
1: Well, he he can make himself know he can make himself known or noticed by you know doing certain things that cause things to move. Like he's able to affect physical things. He's okay. able to like pick things up and things like that. And it's not something that he does a lot. Um, but there's this one moment where he does kind of hit some sort of like breaking point. He just wait, wants wait. To... So this
0: movie has Casey Affleck and he's wearing a white sheet and he terrorizes a Mexican family.
1: Yes. Um, and I feel like you should have led with that. And not only does he terrorize a Mexican family, um, but once he, so he basically has this tantrum and he throws all their plates and breaks them all, and then it's just it's just a woman and her and her kids, and then this Mexican woman has to clean up the mess mm. because in America, <laughs> um, Mexican women have to clean up even after dead white men. Wow. Um, when they make a mess, uh, which feels salient. Uh, so and then later this like all these partiers move in and there's this extended insufferable drunk pretentious monologue about existentialism and I'm like why not that guy? Why not take <laughs> a plate and break it over this right. fucking asshole's head? Right. Um, also fun weird thing about that scene, Kesha is in it. Oh, really? Kesha is in this movie. Kesha is in a ghost story. That's weird. She's just there at a house party just dancing around. In the background, no hmm. idea how that happened. Very curious to know. <laughs> um, Would like David. So this movie is directed by David Lowery, um, who hmm. made Pete's Dragon, hmm. uh, which we like very much. And before that, he made a, a little movie called Anthem Body Saints that also starred Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara. So this is a reunion of sorts mm-hmm. uh, from that.
0: This movie it I got the impression it was going to be a lot more about grieving and loss and like the first mm-hmm. part of the story. Um is this something that is um tells tells a tale of grief in a new way or mm-hmm. um is it particularly um hard to watch?
1: Yeah, I mean it's a really given what it is, you know, on the surface regarding, you know, about a man under a sheet being a ghost in a house. Um, it really sneaks up on you with 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 the with its emotional impact. Like mm. I had a lump in my throat for almost the entire movie. So it is very affecting in ways that you, I can't even articulate why. Mm. Um, but it's a very poignant meditation on loss and also uh, impermanence. Mm. Because rather than tell the traditional story of, you know, the person left behind and their grief, which it does do in the beginning, and it becomes about this ghost grief. And this ghost, this sort of... Um, you know, confined to this house, um, to just watch it change and, you know, to watch different people come and go and to watch the loss of the meaning of the house that he shared with the woman he loved. Mm. such a so
0: hard? I feel like that's such a. I um, I was talking about loss recently with somebody and, um, you know, we just kind of have this back and forth about, you know, what is the, what does it mean to, to leave people behind and have them grieve for you? And like, what, what isn't my, Opinion is like, but isn't it just worse to like no longer be living and like no longer be doing things and you know mm-hmm. These conversations we all have right. and the person was like, well, you know, but you wouldn't be there You wouldn't even know but it's like well You yeah. all know how wonderful every single day is like how could you even this stuff? So I feel like this would be particularly hard to watch as someone who you know uh, Would would be very sad about all the things to miss after death.
1: Yeah. Yeah I mean, I think it it, it does make you sympathize with a ghost mm-hmm. It makes you sympathize with the perspective of someone who's moved on and now has has no control
0: mm-hmm. and
1: you know and you know has to you know just stand there watching his grieving um wife and uh and, and one one particular scene of grieving involves and this this might be i feel like it might be a first so uh there's a scene where Rooney mara comes home and she's had a friend has just dropped in and left like a pie um you know for just the thing people do when you're grieving mm-hmm. you know they leave you food and um so Rooney mara comes home and she's and she you know finds a pie and she you know kind of cuts a piece and then she eats it and then she plops down on the kitchen floor. Then the camera angle changes and we have a stationary, static shot of her sitting there on the floor. And Casey Affleck is in the far corner. We just see him staying there in the sheet. And she starts to eat this pie. And then she keeps eating it. And it's an unbroken take. And she's eating it kind of violently. She's like violently grief eating this pie and she eats almost the entire thing hmm. this goes on for like four or five minutes wow like unbroken and you, and you and you just have to like really lean in and watch her because you can see although the camera doesn't like zoom in or anything you can see that her like you know she's starting to flush from and you can see like just a single tear like appear on the tip of her nose and like drop down and um mm-hmm. and and in you're just kind of like in this moment with her mm-hmm um, and it's, and you know, it's a unique approach to, um, the filmmaking that certainly is not a populist approach. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and certainly will, uh, if this were like playing at a crowded multiplex on a Friday night, people would probably walk out during that scene to demand a refund. Right. Um, it
0: seems like a lot of heavy lifting on, on Rooney Mara. Is she,
1: uh, she's brilliant. I mean, she's such a great actress. And I think part of what makes the movie so effective uh, emotionally is that it doesn't talk this mm-hmm. is this is such like the, the quintessential show, not tell movie mm-hmm. because there's not really any dialogue. Um you know, certainly Casey Affleck, you know, this is not a speaking ghost, although um, there is this kind of funny but then poignant um back and forth between him and a ghost in a neighboring house <laughs> where sometimes they like look out the window. He like looks out the window and there's like another guy standing there in a sheet in the other window, and they have like um subtitled exchanges where like they're not moving, they're not speaking, <laughs> but they're just like speaking to each other. And in um, these really clipped, almost like Lynchian kinds of uh, expressions. Interesting. Um, and it goes on for quite a time. That's another thing about the movie is that it plays with time in a way that this is where it gets really Malicky. Um, mm. Like I had, I had no idea. I thought it was just going to be much more about like this this one particular moment of him. You know, you know, we see them together, and then he passes, and then he watches her, and then watches her until she's able to like get it together to like leave the house. So. I thought that was going to be the whole movie. It is not the whole movie. That's mm. maybe the first half of the movie. Um the whole second half is about like all these things changing in the house and then it becomes time starts to move in uh in in much bigger ways mm. um toward the end and then in very unexpected ways that aren't that aren't necessarily linear. Interesting. Uh so it's a really, you know, uh it's a really sort of like experimental film in a way, very conceptual. Um but and yet despite all of that kind of um, you know, artistic uh, uh, bells and whistles. It still just has like the core of it is so powerful and affecting. And, um, and uh, yeah, I think that, yeah, I mean, like, again, if I was a person who could cry, I think I would have cried at this because I genuinely felt that that side of that sense of loss and, and you know, in my throat, the entire movie. And it was able to do all that, you know, just purely through its, its, its sense of cinema mm-hmm. and through its performances and, and, you know, because, as I said, there's really no dialogue. Um, there's like barely any talking in the entire movie. Mm. Uh, so it's it, yeah, it's pretty incredible as a, as an artistic achievement.
0: So one of the movies we talked about earlier as one of the picks of the year so far was mm. uh, a Personal Shopper, mm-hmm. um, which also deals with someone going grieving and perhaps a presence um, of a missing mm. of a missing person. Yeah. Um, how would you compare these two?
1: Uh, I think that that movie. So this movie is never scary,
0: mm-hmm. and that
1: movie genuinely mm, was.
0: Really did that was. The yeah, I forgot. Yeah, how oddly scary that movie. Yeah, was. Yeah,
1: because we were surprised at the time. Yeah, we were surprised that we were actually scared by that movie. This is never scary. Um, this this definitely is fully in that kind of swelling emotional sadness place. Mm-hmm. Um, and Personal Shopper, you know, I think it had it had bits of that because we know that that is her her um her drive her motivation in that mm-hmm. movie. Is coming from a place of loss and of just like not being able to accept, um, or you know, yeah, just re- She could, she can't come to a place of closure about right. her brother's uh passing, and so she just keeps like pursuing, pursuing, pursuing. And this does tie into that because part of what Casey Affleck's mission is in this movie is, um, and you hear this in the trailer, uh, Rooney Mara, as she's going to really leave the house, she fills out, she writes in a little slip of paper, she writes a note, we don't see what it says. And she slips it into this little crevice in a wall. And, um, and she tells him in the beginning of the film when he's, he's still alive, she says like, oh, this thing I used to do when I was a little girl, I would always like write little notes and I would like slip it into like little crevices, like along doorways and stuff. And so she does that. And then he throughout all of the, you know, throughout this entire span of the film in every different setting, he is just there crouched, just trying to like cr- scratch it out, mm. scratch it out. And, uh, so in that way, he and Kristen Stewart's character are mm-hmm. both, they're very determined to establish some sort of connection from like beyond the grave to be like, what is this, what is this thing that you're trying to say to me?
0: Yeah. It almost seems like they're almost complementary in terms of like, it's the same story told from told, two different perspectives. Yeah.
1: Told from the, told from earth and ter- told from the beyond. Mm-hmm. So it's reminiscent of personal shopper. Hell, it's reminiscent of Beetlejuice. <laughs> uh, because once again, <laughs> we have, you know, it's not very, not every day that you get a ghost POV. Right. And, uh, so this and Beetlejuice would be a fine double feature
0: um what are you giving this one
1: i'm giving it a binge it you know um this is i mean it's not for everyone because Mm -hmm. as i mentioned like it definitely like it tries your patience at times but i say stay with it like i think this is a movie that's very rewarding if you just let it be what it is and uh and just trust that like you're in the hands of a really incredible filmmaker and he's doing this all on purpose and that the cumulative emotional effect of sitting through these long stretches of silence and stillness it uh is 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 kind of the point of the experience of watching the movie
0: that's fantastic a ghost story is rated R for brief language and a disturbing image. And that brings us to our last movie of the week, which probably couldn't be more different, uh, The Little Hours. Three medieval nuns lead a simple life in their convent. Their days are spent chafing at monastic routine, spying on one another, and berating the estate's day labor. After a particularly vicious insult session drives the peasant away, Father Tommaso brings on newly hired hand Baseto, a virile young servant forced into hiding by his angry, by his angry lord, Introduced to the sisters as a deaf-mute to discourage temptation, Macedo struggles to maintain his cover. Beautiful morning, sister. Hey, don't fucking, fucking talk to cream. us! I get the, the fuck out of here! Sister Ginevra? Sister Fernanda. Sister Alessandra. Sister Maria. These are your
1: sins. Bling, bling, bitch, do my own thing, bitch. Filthy conversation? Mind your own fucking business. Lustfulness? Oh. Oh, Homosexuality? This is too tight. Oh. Did you roll your eyes? No. You're rolling your
0: eyes. Wake up, little bitches. Let me see. This movie feels like a good. movie that um, would have come out in like nineteen seventy seven. <laughs> what do you think?
1: Well, I think that it's it's an intentional homage to Pasolini's DeCameron uh, uh films.
0: Yep. Well yeah. yeah. I think the story I mean it also is just right, it's one on of the De stories yeah, right. from uh, the Boccaccio. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So yeah, I guess it also but he also yeah references that 70s style
1: yeah because yeah. the, the filmmaking like the cinematography in particular and the editing is mm-hmm. very it, it's 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 very yeah very much crafted as a callback to you mm-hmm. know it has the look and feel of those Pasolini films mm-hmm. and uh, it also
0: has like I feel like there aren't many sex farces made no, recently no definitely was a, a movie style of a time and a place as well
1: Yes. Um, And uh, and despite all of those uh, references and callbacks to times past, both 70s filmmaking and medieval literature, uh, this is also hilariously updated. uh, Oh, my God. With modern dialogue um, and very contemporary acting (laughs) that is just fucking hilarious. So
0: funny. This movie, was something that the moment I uh, heard about it, I couldn't believe it was happening. It's like all of my favorite things. Um, it stars a cast. Um, uh, oh yeah, we have Aubrey Plaza, we have Dave Franco, we have Kate Micucci, we have Jemima Kirk
1: Alison Brie, Allison
0: Brie, John
1: right? C. Riley, Molly Shannon, Molly Shannon, uh, Fred Armisen, mm-hmm. uh, Adam Pally, mm-hmm. um, uh, Lauren Weedman, right. uh, Nick, Nick Offerman. Yes, like what the fuck it's is insane. up with this cast?
0: It, I it's they must. I feel like it's something where it's like. They're just friends, yeah. and they were like, well, let's do this thing, mm-hmm. um, and we're all going to sign up and be on board. Right. And, the, um, and the
1: filmmaker is Aubrey Plaza's um, longtime boyfriend, I believe, Jeff Baina, mm-hmm. who previously he made his writing directing debut with her in a movie called Life After Beth, mm. which I think Molly Shan was also in, um, and uh, which was not good. Life After <laughs> Beth was not good. He then made a movie called Joshy, which I didn't see, but this, this I loved.
0: How could you not? Ugh. Um, so the movie takes place uh, in this convent in medieval Italy um, and you know it's very much uh, again like we said like it's just shot in a way where it's a movie that's so clearly made in the 70s about the middle ages mm-hmm. and and then you know right off the bat it's like Kate McCucci and Avi Plaza just like swearing at each other and <laughs> just being like just fucking do that what are you <laughs> looking at and it, like it just throws immediately throws the whole thing and swearing
1: at the aforementioned day laborer right. which yes. never stopped being hilarious no. to me I was scream laughing uh yes. at that every time so it being happened being so mean being so these just watching these nuns be so incredibly aggressive and I know, and I know it's I an easy... start,
0: like kicking him and hitting him.
1: <laughs> and they just, you know, and I know it, it sounds like it could be an easy target. Like, Oh, yeah, sure. Like, let's have nuns do un-nun-like things. And so it's not just the the juxtaposition of like such a nun-like behavior on nuns. It's also just the acting. It's just like, yes. it's, it's just the timing. It's the delivery mm-hmm. of these lines. It's the way that Ari Plaza just physically charges yes. um, at people over and over and over again in this movie. And just, you know, it's set against the kind of, as you meant, sort of like the bucolic 70s filmmaking. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's very pastoral. It's yeah. very, um, you know, small Italian hillside and, village.
1: And it's totally deadpan. 100%, 100%. deadpan. No um, winks.
0: So wild. This movie is so wild. You have these three three nun characters that you follow. Alison Brie... Uh, abby plaza and kate mccucci and they're each of them are allison breeze characters like um you know she thinks she's kind of the best and her family has money and they're paying into this, this convent abby plaza is over everything all the time mm-hmm. as she is yeah type and cast. kate mccucci is just like kind of like a little like a suck up trying to like you know she, nerdy yeah kind of trying to make everybody odd, happy. odd man out um you know always telling on people mm-hmm. and then um so seeing them interact just that dynamic oh, alone would have been something
1: i could have watched it all day
0: um and yeah and the story is is actually just straight from from the its references this uh the priest uh, played by john c riley uh finds this uh dave franco who has been kicked out of the house he was being a servant at
1: because and, they've 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 cut the day, the day laborer has quit after mm-hmm. being accosted and called a jew among mm-hmm. other things mm-hmm. um by the young ladies and, and, uh, and so de- they
0: bring him into the house um, and under the guise of him being a deaf mute mm-hmm. um, so that he can't be, uh, you know, Get temptation a yeah, to the to the nuns. And what what ensues is just <laughs> complete hilarity.
1: It's just such a wild sex romp farce. Mm-hmm. And, and it's uh, just it
0: really is a farce. It's not like, mm-hmm. you know, there's like none of the scenes are like legitimately, I don't know, like sexual in like a serious way.
1: I mean, I will say that Dave Franco is one of the most gorgeous men. Sure. And I was very much sexually engaged uh, <laughs> by Dave Franco's repeated shirtlessness in this movie.
0: I mean, and on, and, on my side, my one of my celebrity crushes is Jeremy Kirk, and you have this moment where she's... Making out with Abby Plaza and uh, and they're wearing like nuns' clothes and it is just like, I cannot believe it's <laughs> the
1: world is a beautiful place. You finally you manifested it. All these years later, finally you manifested your exact fetish. <laughs> and there it Who is in Also, this
0: movie has a lot of merkins.
1: It has a lot of aggressive <laughs> merkin <and> work. <laughs> merkin work. Aggressive merkin work throughout this movie.
0: Mercantile. It,
1: this is a movie that has um that basically gets everyone naked at one point or yeah. another. And uh and uh, not naked enough in Dave Franco's case. Uh <laughs> but uh but plenty naked all the same. And there is you know, I think the one thing that did stick out to me was there is a scene that essentially begins as a rape of Dave Franco mm. at at knife point.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: um, that gradually yeah. becomes sort of a consensual three way. Mm-hmm. But just since mm-hmm. it begins, like he he's very he he is he's is, you want to talk about sexual harassment? He is at uh, the
0: butt end of sexual violence. Throughout this entire uh, throughout movie. throughout
1: this entire movie, the movie plays sexual violence against Dave Franco for laughs, mm-hmm. and uh, and you know I laughed, I did. <laughs> Um, you know, you feel for the guy, because <laughs> <Sure. laughs> over and over again, he's just sitting in his little like servant quarters, and just so, like he hears like the door creak open, he has to pretend he doesn't hear, it, and we just like see his face, like, Ugh. Um, you know, like, <laughs> you what, what, like, what, what new rape is this going to be? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but uh, but he he's great. Him and Allison Brie are in real life a couple. And uh, and I believe they may have met on this movie. Oh, really? Um, but uh, and they move very quickly and are very much you know and they have great chemistry in this film. Mm-hmm. Very funny together. Uh, I mean, everyone's just so funny. And then,
0: like in the third act, uh, Fred Armisen shows up basically. <sighs> the uh, The whole common is like out of control. Everyone, mm-hmm. you know, there's a, a deep exploration into witchcraft. There's some experimenting with uh, homemade drugs, <laughs> um, and then we have this whole everyone trying to basically at one point everyone's trying to sleep with De Franco, mm-hmm. um, and and then so um, Fred Armisen is like the Archbishop of the area and comes in to see how you know this check in on this um, this church and. He has to give everyone a, re- a reading out, a rundown of all of the crimes that they've committed against the <laughs> church. Like, this is the, the longest one I've ever read. <laughs> and it's—I feel like each—I feel like the people, the stars in this movie. Play exactly the type that they always do.
1: Mm-hmm. Dave
0: Franco with his smiling eyes is so oh. sweet. And, you know, Avi Plaza is just a total bitch the whole time. Mm-hmm. Kay Mikuchi like super energetic. And like, it's just like, no one's playing anything new or interesting. No. You know, we've seen Fred Armisen do this kind of like over yeah. it thing over and over even again. Even J-
1: Jemima J- Kirk is basically playing Jessa.
0: I know. <laughs>
1: you're like, right? oh, you're like, it's so hot. <laughs> and uh, I mean, she even
0: has her British accent. And then there's this joke where you are like, <laughs> They keep, she's like, no, I'm from this small Italian town next right. door. And and Kate McCree, she keeps, are you sure she, you're from there?
1: Yeah, she's like, why do you, she's like, what's your accent? And she's like, I don't have an accent. Yeah. I sound just like you. <laughs> she's like, oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
0: but I mean, this gets everyone exactly, yeah. it's perfect how they are.
1: Molly Shannon plays against type a little bit.
0: Yeah, she's not as wild. I mean, it, she's it was, understated. She's, yeah, it's she's. It's type in that seeing her in a nun's uniform, in, like right. Catholic, Catholic oh, right. environment yes, is very yeah. familiar.
1: That's true. And you know what this made me think of? This succeeds where I think the Love Witch failed.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, the, this had a complete different uh yes. set of talent and yeah. opportunity than the Love Witch, but yes, But in terms
1: right. of being like an homage to mm-hmm. sort of 70s um uh a, a certain brand of of 70s like sex cinema. Mhm. Yeah. Um, even though Love Witch was even more specific, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, but 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 also but not because it's not like they were a million. Like Pasolini made three Decameron, you right. know, he like made three trilogy of life films, um, and uh, so I think they are both homages to a very specific moment in sort of like 70s sex cinema. Mm-hmm. And um, but this one actually is funny. It's so funny. Um, do you think there's any any deeper kind of meaning to any of it? Because I've seen some trying to be like, oh well, this it, um, let's talk about a you know, uh, various uh, sexual, just, I guess you could say it's a really obvious, easy critique of, of Catholicism. Sure. In terms yeah. of, like, oh, there's just the all the sex going on behind closed doors, and, like, oh, you know, this is what you, you deny. Just showing that de- the but that's massive... Like, that's
0: what the Decameron was in the first place. I mean, right. like, those sort of criticisms of, of the church have always existed. And right, So, exactly. like, doing a remake of a remake of a, of a yeah. book is, is not going to bring anything fresh there. I think no. anything that probably wasn't done with an intention, mm-hmm. but it's... It, Knowing that, and also the fact that like they do speak in modern,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, like modern vocabulary, reminds you that like you know, we have this ability to like sort of you know romanticize the past in this way that like people acted the way that they told us that they've acted, mm-hmm. uh, which is not true. And people were always doing crazy right. things. People were always swearing, and people were always like had had slang. Mm-hmm. Um, and always, so
1: always had you know like you know just sexual desire mm-hmm. that and you know that manifested in ways that you know, uh, if you had to deny it, it was going to get even crazier.
0: Right. And like, like that's when, we, when we've set up that barrier against like, you know, people in the past spoke this way and acted mm-hmm. this way and everything was really chaste and really proper. Then you forget about uh, just the humanity of it all and like the importance of history. And the, I think that was probably an unintentional uh, funny reminder in this movie.
1: There is one performance I want to single out for special praise, and that is uh, Lauren Weedman. Oh my God! Uh, who uh, is best known for uh, Looking, mm-hmm. um, on which she played Doris, uh, the roommate of Dom. <laughs> and I think anyone who watched Looking knows that Lauren Weedman has, you know, she was the breakout star of that show mm-hmm. in many ways. You know, despite being it being a gay show and her being a straight female character, she was just she she everything she said just landed so beautifully. And she is not like I don't think people know what to do with her as an actress.
0: Unfortunately, I hope they and I that hope out more soon. people see
1: the little hours because so she so she plays so she and Nick Offerman, um, Dave Franco works for them at the beginning of the film, and so he, he's having an affair with her, and it's when he's found out that he had runs away and then ends up working for, um, John C Riley and the church and meets these crazy nuns. But so Lauren Weedman, uh, just the way that she mocks Nick Offerman, it mm-hmm. um, just her, her her reaction shots. Mm-hmm. I mean, she almost she runs. She gives me like almost like a modern B. Arthur energy at times because she, mm, has, a, she yeah. has a way with just like a sarcastic, dry reaction shot. Mm-hmm. Um, she is brilliant
0: yeah really stand out i was troubling me i was like oh where's she from um and looked it up uh remembered her loved her in in uh looking Mm -hmm. yeah they're the the she just her and nick offerman are married and she's cheating on him and he's terrible nick offerman is like this terrible lord of this manner and she just like does not put up with him she no. just like shuts it down every time and it's yeah. like their exchange is so yeah. funny she just does
1: not take him seriously so good also shout out to whoever was in the costume department on this because across the board yeah. the costumes are delightful and really? also the sleeping bonnets that the yes. men wear <laughs> I was not ready for that I've <laughs> seen Nick Hofferman we're just storming yes. around with his like long medieval wig and this like weird sleeping bonnet on over it <laughs> trying to look scary and intimidating so
0: good oh. excellent use of a turtle and a candle yeah oh um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the other I, thing. I feel like this movie often has like the, it's like so stupid. There's certain things that are just like so oh dumb, but like they're so funny. Oh. Um, and love it.
1: And it does, you know, this is a movie that has like the first act is non-stop brilliant hilarity. Mm-hmm. And it does, you know, like as like with a lot of movies, as it gets more and more into its story, it has mm-hmm. kind of less energy given to like coming up with great gags and jokes and stuff like that. So, but it is still funny. beginning to end. It almost reminds me of, um, you know, speaking of a movie that B. Arthur was in, uh, Mel Brooks' History of the World Part One.
0: Mm, yeah. Yeah. That's the same, it's mm-hmm. the same time. Yeah. That's like that sort of sex farce historical. Yeah. And that was sort of a parody yeah, of that exactly. too. Yeah. Uh, oh, good, <laughs> so, good. but one. uh
1: But yeah. Uh, oof, so what are you going to give this? Oh, binge it. Binge it for me too. It's triple binge this oh, week. Oh, triple binge. Triple binge.
0: Um, And let's see. The Little Hours is rated R for graphic nudity, sexual content, and language. We made it. We made it. We did it. Thank, um,
1: thank you for being a trooper, Rebecca
0: Of course, thank you so much um, Everyone to, for listening to the show uh, Next week we're going to take the week off And we'll be back with a new episode on July 21st Be sure to subscribe on iTunes If you um, are so inclined Or Stitcher or wherever it is you get your podcasts um, You can find Jason on Twitter um, Escaping Celebrity Ire At And I am at FightBalance Thank you so much Bye bye
1: Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason.
0: You made it to the end, that's amazing.
1: There goes goes the binge.
0: binge.